Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Generally Free Society. I'm Anthony Wheeler and today we continue our sequence on war and rumors of war. The Korean War. Korea had been occupied by Japan since 1910, and after the Second World War, the Soviet Union occupied the peninsula north of the 38th parallel and the U.S. south of it. A similar arrangement was made in the historically unified state of Vietnam, the Chinese occupying north of the 17th parallel while the Allies to the south. In 1950, North Korea invaded the south, armed with Soviet T-34 tanks, something the South Koreans were unprepared to stop. The United Nations intervened on behalf of South Korea, and international forces landed in Pusan before the North completely overwhelmed the South. After leading a daring amphibious landing at Incheon, north of Seoul, the UN forces, commanded by General MacArthur, quickly pushed the invading forces above the 38th parallel. Up to this point, the actions of the U.S. seemed totally justified. The initial invasion by North Koreans violated the treaty that ended the war, and the U.S. acted in concert with the U.N. in resisting the incursion. Re-establishing the status quo had been accomplished with the Incheon landings, and things could have ended right there. But they didn't. With the tacit support of the U.S. president, and despite explicit demands from China to stop, MacArthur continued to advance to the north, making public threats against China. He believed the war should end with the occupation of Peking. He, ne he even advocated, prior to his being replaced, the use of nuclear weapons against China and potentially the Soviet Union if they entered the Korean Peninsula. Unsurprisingly, once UN forces advanced deep within North Korea, within five miles of the Yalu River and the Chinese border, Chinese soldiers crossed into Korea. The Chinese succeeded in pushing the UN forces back to near the 38th parallel, and the war raged in that vicinity for the next two years before a ceasefire was arranged. Had MacArthur remained near the 38th parallel, China would not have entered the war, and the conflict would have remained a mere blip in history and cost far fewer than the 60,000 or so Americans that died and the millions of Chinese and Koreans. The Second Gulf War the first Gulf War ended in February of 1991. At that point, the U.S. and U.N. enacted a policy of containment, including the enforcement of no-fly zones in parts of Iraq intended to protect Kurds in the north and the Shias in the south. With the election of Bush in 2000, U.S. policy shifted to one of regime change with the explicit goal of ousting Saddam Hussein. His overarching political goal relative to Iraq would soon color intelligence assessments leading directly to a decision to invade the country. The two primary justifications for invading Iraq consisted of the threat of Saddam's development of weapons of mass destruction and secondly, his links to terrorists, specifically Al-Qaeda, after 9-11. Neither proved to be valid. Saddam did not have any WMD programs at the time and he and Bin Laden were blood enemies. These facts were widely known within the intelligence community, but the politicians didn't want to hear it, so they didn't hear it. In fact, the administration was so bent on attacking Iraq that within hours of the attack on the tower 9-11, plans were being prepared to invade Iraq. This absent any indication that Iraq had anything to do with the attack. In the coming months, 
Even as the initial fight against Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan was coming to a conclusion, the administration stepped up political efforts, both domestically and internationally, to justify an invasion of Iraq. Zero justification existed for an invasion, so the administration had to fabricate it. In October 2002, Bush stated that U.S. policy was regime change in Iraq. Why? Because supposedly Saddam possessed, or was attempting to possess, WMDs, his violation of UN resolutions relative to inspections, and his support of international terror. General Frank listed the objectives of the invasion to end Saddam's regime that included, and I'll list them, number one, to eliminate Iraq's WMDs, two, to drive terrorists out of the country, three, to collect intel on terrorist networks, four, to collect intel on a global network of illicit WMDs, five, to end sanctions and deliver humanitarian aid to Iraq, to Iraqis, and six, to help Iraqis transition to a representative government. This is all wrong. How is regime change, the actual root political justification, valid? We, as a nation, simply decide who we like leading a country and who we don't? And if we don't like somebody, we invade and depose them? Do we pick and choose? Well, Kim in North Korea is too tough and Putin too dangerous to mess with, so we'll take a shot at something similar. Let's take Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Is that how it works? How does that justify the lives lost, the physical destruction, the financial cost, and the in inevitable instability an invasion brings? As it turned out, no WMDs, no links to terrorists, no terrorists at the time of the invasion, although plenty to come later. As for providing humanitarian aid, that seems a bit oxymoronic that you would need tanks and bombs to enact an aid program. And as for bringing democracy to Iraq, how is that any of our business? Again, consider the cost in lives, dollars, and destruction. What did the U.S. and the world win with a victory in Iraq? After the invasion, with the disbandment of Iraqi army and the Ba'athist party, and the election of a majority Shia government, the Sunnis were now ostracized. New prison camps were filled with violent discontents. Sectarian violence escalated and ISIS was formed and spread. The invasion took place in 2003 and was quickly over, but the con conflict continued for, for much of the next decade as an insurgency emerged to oppose coalition forces and the post-invasion Iraqi government. U.S. troops were officially withdrawn in 2011 and then redeployed in 2014 as the insurgency continues to this day. U.S. casualties amount 4,491, 4,491. That's 4,491 too many, as they died for nothing. Actually, less for nothing, as the cost of the invasion continue to this day. Less than a month ago, it's currently January 9th, 2022, the U.S. announced the end of combat operations in Iraq. Troop levels have declined from a high of 160,000 in 2008 to about 7,000 today, including contractors. Despite the recent announcement, little is expected to change and there appears to be no end to the U.S. military presence in Iraq. The Japanese occupied Korea in 1910, invaded Manchuria in 1933, and China in 1937. During the war with Japan, China fielded two armies, one under the then-legitimate Guomindang, led by Chiang Kai-shek, and the other by the communist Mao Zedong. When the war ended in 1945, 
the Japanese still occupied Korea. The Soviets took the Japanese surrender north of the 38th parallel and the Allies south. Thus the original split between North and South Korea. After the Japanese surrender, the U.S. occupied Japan, Okinawa, and provided area defense for the entire region. This was initially to ensure that Japan didn't reemerge as a local imperious threat. In 1949, the communists defeated the Guomindang and forced them to flee to Taiwan. In 1950, North Korea invaded South Korea using Soviet T-34 tanks. The South Koreans had no way to stop the superior armor and almost lost before MacArthur pulled off the brilliant Incheon landings and then with UN support pushed the North Koreans north of the 38th parallel. The original justification for American milita military power to be deployed in the Western Pacific was to provide military protection against a potentially resurgent Japan. The next justification was to contain global communism in the form of Maoist China and Stalin's Soviet Union. This entailed patrolling the Straits of Formosa to keep mainland China from invading Taiwan. This also led directly to American involvement in Southeast Asia in an effort to prevent another domino falling to global communism. Today, a madman with missiles and nuclear weapons leads North Korea. There are about 35,000 American service personnel in South Korea. Every American should be asking, why? There is no reason for America to be involved. Japan is no longer a regional threat. Global communism has collapsed. The fate of the Korean Peninsula is not worth losing one American life. The Russians, Chinese, South Koreans, and Japanese should deal with it. Let it be their problem. They are individually far wealthier than North Korea, let alone combined. The lunatic is in their backyard. Let them put him away, or ignore him, or whatever they please. They don't need American help, and it's quite possible that American involvement simply exacerbates the political situation. And why is American taking the lead anyway? The people in immediate peril live just south of the 38th parallel. As such, the South Koreans should be in the lead and orchestrating a response with China, Russia, and Japan to manage the threat of North Korea. The U.S. should withdraw all ground troops from South Korea and all the operating air wings, including the F-16 squadrons at Kunsan, where I was stationed in the early 80s, and the F-15s in Osan, or whatever aircraft they're deployed there today. Support for South Korea can be diplomatic, economic, and if necessary, military strikes from a distance. War in Korea may be inevitable, and the U.S. may have to participate, but that should only happen as a final resort. While the situation in Korea is quite clear, the rest of the American occupation in East Asia remains more complicated. Even so, with major bases in Japan, Okinawa, and the Philippines, I would question the value and the cost of maintaining them. The Chinese should be welcomed as equals in world leadership and not treated as a threat. Why resist their military operations in the South China Sea? It's bound to lead to conflict in the same way the Soviet intrusion into the Caribbean almost ignited World War III in 1962. In other words, we would military resist any intrusion into our local waters, and rightly so. As for Taiwan, our diplomatic position should be support for a peaceful political solution between China and Taiwan. It, but if peace fails and China decides to invade the island, 
a possibility I consider, consider unlikely, but I've been wrong before, then so be it. Violently attempting to prevent the unification of Taiwan and China is not worth the loss of one American life or the risk that such an attempt might escalate well beyond the region with truly terrible ramifications. At this point, Americans are just as likely to cause a war in the region than prevent one. In the meantime, America applies vast resources defending a global empire for questionable reasons that cost a significant drain on domestic investment and wealth. Part of the general economic stagnation and slow growth we have experienced in recent decades can be partially assigned to the magnitude of defense spending and support of our global military occupation. Well, that concludes our show for today. Next time, we take a closer look at the Vietnam War and Afghanistan. Until then, peace.